0: Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the creators behind the incredible camera app Holide, Sebastian DeWitt and Ben Sandofsky. Guys, welcome to the show.
1: Cool. Thanks for having us.
0: People have probably I've probably mentioned uh, this app on the show multiple times, but this, along with Overcast, Holide uh, specifically, is an app that has lived in my dock uh, since it came out. I thought since I first got an iPhone, but I doing the research realized I must have gone a couple months uh, before, whenever I, after I switched to iOS before you guys even uh, released this. So it hasn't been the entire time I've had an iPhone, but it's basically a part of the iPhone to me, um, and so I'm. Super excited to talk to you guys about uh, kind of the story that led up to this,
2: uh, because it's one of my most used apps. Oh, that's awesome! That's really, really flattering to hear that. I'd love to, love to hear that. It's, it's going back. I think that places you at having an iPhone eight as your first iPhone seven. It was an,
0: well, it was it, the iPhone seven was out, but I didn't buy a new one, so it was technically an iPhone six plus. Uh, ah, okay, but. Yeah. But yeah, it was like right around that time. And I bought an iPhone for the camera after we had kids. And so playing around with the different camera apps uh, was a major reason why I even got the app or got the phone in the first place. And so Holide kind of came out, I guess, right at the right time because I was very deep into experimenting and it was perfect for that. Awesome.
1: Well, it's funny that it's also... Yeah. Well, <laughs> We were also experimenting and making apps at the same time. It's like, wow, this is, this is the right time to be making camera apps. Like the cameras on the phones were getting really powerful. And uh, yeah, it's just like so weird how it all sort of came together at the same time.
0: Normally, what we do on this show is um, we kind of walk through the story of the, the person who made the app leading up to them making it. Um, but with two people, it's sometimes tricky because I have a tendency to get in the weeds. So I'll try and keep it somewhat brief um, but i do want to talk about both of your careers kind of that led to you coming together for for halide so we'll start with sebastian uh the three questions i always ask are where are you from do you have a formal education uh related to what you're doing here and then what kind of i guess as briefly as you can uh what kind of led you towards uh, meeting
2: up with ben to start Holide? yeah those are those are great questions um so yeah hi i'm sebastian i'm actually a dutch guy living in the united states now Uh, sometimes my accent will come out particularly on the th sounds so i'll say duh (laughs) giving me away uh i grew up in a small rural town in the netherlands and netherlands there it is and uh (laughs) that's where i kind of started getting into uh, the creative pursuits so i i'm the design half of uh of the team and i uh didn't i had some semblance of a professional education i dropped out of high school to pursue going to art school in like the city closest to my little farm hamlet that i grew up and uh i spent about two years there kind of enjoying playing with photography and uh analog photography and movable type and drawing naked people but mostly just teaching teachers photoshop i was a pretty self-taught um person I I like to follow like tutorials online on like photoshopping and stuff and in our school got my first Mac and that's kind of what got me super excited about user interface and icon design and started just kind of doing freelance work uh, like that which led me to start working with larger clients and basically finding out about UI design before it was a field that was taught in school and uh that brought me to becoming a professional user interface designer. So I worked for companies like Apple for a bit, uh, Mozilla, uh, freelanced for companies like Sony and EA and a bunch of other companies until uh, I was doing a a stint of freelancing. And uh, at one point, Ben kind of slid into my Twitter DMs uh, around. uh, It was WWDC and Apple just announced that they were going to create a set of APIs. I think during the State of the Union, they announced this, not like the main keynote, but they were going to create a set of APIs to give more fine-grained control over the camera and uh ben and i were acquaintances through twitter and kind of uh we both had a, an absolute passion for photography and for for apps as well and uh, yeah he, he sent me a dm and i was like hey do you want to meet up and talk about maybe like making a camera app?" and well as they say the rest is history <laughs> wow okay i i was expecting uh
0: like there was a bunch of other things before that, but it sounds like Halide was the thing that sort of brought you together, really. Yeah. So I guess I guess before we dive too deep into that, well, let's do the same three questions for Ben. So where are you from, formal education related to what you do, and then what was your career leading uh, up to you sliding into Sebastian's DMs? <laughs>
1: Sure, sure. Uh, So yeah, I grew up around the Boston area, and uh, I went to uh, college for computer science, and actually double majored in the humanities. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with the the computer science. Like, um, you know, maybe I want to work in like computer animation or video games, but it turns out when you graduate, like those jobs suck. <laughs> they are really hard <laughs> to get. And then if you have if you have student loans, uh they aren't the best way of paying back student loans. So, you know, I graduated, I worked at uh, some large companies and then you know, working in a large company has a lot of advantages. So, you know, there's no shame in that. Um, you know, it's very reliable work, uh but it's not really it wasn't really stimulating to me. And so, you know, uh, over the years I started like following what's it like to build your own company and do your own startup and things like that. And like, I read, you know, posts by people like Joel Spolsky who had this great blog, Joel on software. And, you know, there's tons of people I'm sure you've covered on the show who talk about behind the scenes. And so basically like a lot of what your listeners are probably going through. And I think uh, at that time I tried doing uh, my own startup, which like my, I want to say startup, it was like bootstrap thing. It was like a, it was like a website Um, I knew a bunch of actors who needed to learn how to... uh, uh, Or they needed to manage their own promotional sites. And so, I was like, oh, what if I build like a SaaS product that'll help them manage their own site so they don't have to work with Uh, like these uh, flaky webmasters who charge like 50 bucks to update their headshots, right? And so, yeah, it it failed. It like failed miserably. And this was... (laughs) like, okay, maybe I'm not good at that. Uh, maybe I'm not good at building my own products, but it was, I want to say a learning experience. Um, and then so after that, I was like, okay, well, if I want to work on something I at least love, then what are some of the products that I love? And maybe I can go work for one of those companies. And so at the time I was spending all, this, all of my time on this website with a cute little blue bird. Uh, and it was like really <laughs> sucking away my entire day. Like, wow, I can't, Put this down and so i applied and i applied right on the website and i went to work for twitter uh 2009 and so from there until like uh like right after the ipo i was there and i got to see okay this is how startups work this is how the sausage is made this is how you iterate on products and so it was a super insightful experience and then you know when i got out of there Okay, what do I want to do now? Uh, no way do I want to go through like these other startups that you get offered. Like you know, pretty much everything else that uh, came up as far as startups, every single offer I got was the companies no longer exist today. Right, so I dodged <laughs> that bullet. But I'm like, well, maybe I want to try doing my own thing again. Right, maybe I figured out enough about what I'm. <laughs> how you make products and figure it out, and so yeah, I just made a list of different things I wanted to iterate on or, or different products I wanted to build, and I kept returning to this camera app, and it, because I've been really getting into photography again.
0: And this was in this was in two thousand
1: nine. Oh, this was two thousand fourteen. So this oh, okay. is after my run Twitter. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, at that point, I was like, okay what do I actually want to do? And then I kind of returned to, you know, photography. And then what I studied in college, like computer graphics was a really cool thing, but it was so hard to work for other people. You know, maybe if I could do anything, maybe I'd do something with computer graphics. And so the camera app, sort of the overlap and the Venn diagram between that. And there are like some small things around camera apps that like, suggested they might be monetizable like most of the time when people are like yeah I knew this product would work is like a it's a justification afterwards like ultimately w- we were lucky i think that camera apps ended up being monetizable but there were some things in the camera app there's like okay maybe this will be easier to make money at building an app but honestly at the time everyone was like yeah there's no way to build there's no way to make any money building apps right the app store is dead Uh, you have to work for someone else. And so, you know, we were really surprised. Uh, I think we met up and then I think it was a year later when we finally launched and like, Oh, Hey, okay. This is, this is going way better than we expected. I thought it was just gonna be like a calling card where I could get some contract work doing graphics programming. And it sort of took on a life of its own.
0: So (laughs) what made you reach out to Sebastian then? Why do you think he might be a good partner to, to try and bring this thing to life?
1: Uh, so he just published his two year long review of the leica m8 uh which uh for the people who aren't photographer hardcore photography people it's like it's a really renowned camera as you know it's a really it was a really deep insightful view of the camera for someone who is super passionate about photography and so you know, there's the joke that finding the right co-founders like dating were like, you need to find someone <laughs> who also like, they're, they're compatible with your outlook. And I, I'm sure there's tons of people you'll meet. They maybe have a different view on like perfectionism in the product. And so, you know, I think it seemed as though he checked all the boxes as far as how he looked at products, but also his passion around photography. And uh, also, it didn't hurt that he was in San Francisco uh, and there was a coffee shop halfway in between us. So, I don't know. I don't know what you were thinking, Sebastian, when when I slid into your DMs.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was it was really fateful. Honestly, um, I think I I'd, I'd really wanted to create something that was really truly my own or like aligned with my vision, and it it turned out me and Ben had a lot of really similar ideas on it. And Ben really hits the the nail on the head when he said that we we didn't anticipate like started we weren't like oh we're gonna be founders and like start a business this was like hey you want to build an app that we think is cool and maybe 10 other people will use too yeah let's do it like we i, I just thought we would just create it and completely for scratching our own itch uh, because my mother was actually visiting when we launched it and when i told her what i was working on without this is classic dutch directness too but she actually said like aren't there just a lot of camera apps already <laughs> <laughs> not like oh i'm so happy for you that's really exciting no just like um good luck with that <laughs> and that's kind of how a lot of <laughs> people responded to it but yeah that surprised us the initial like
0: approach then was you kind of want to you're you weren't trying to build a business you weren't necessarily thinking business models necessarily up front it was really more like you want to Make something that you're proud of and kind of put your stamp on the world uh, with this thing. Is that an accurate portrayal? Yeah, I
2: think so. Ben?
1: Yeah, I mean, we were careful not to choose something that clearly has no business model, like, <laughs> that couldn't work. <laughs> like, it, it had a chance of working, but I think our expectations were, were really, really low. And it was more about, like, you know, for me, it was like, I'd mostly worked for other people and didn't have something with my name attached. So my viewpoint was like, this was, this was really about an exercise and having something I could be proud of. Yeah. And if I get beer money, then it would be, then that's great. That's wonderful.
0: I think that's the reason I bring that up is I I do think that that, especially at the beginning really colors a lot of small decisions you make along the way though. And at least the initial version of, of halide, it really did feel like it was a, uh, I mean, I guess Apple products give me a similar vibe and obviously those are very much business decisions, but they have this sort of like opinion about the world um, despite what the world maybe necessarily wants. It wasn't built to solve the world's problem. It was built to like express the creator's uh, values. That sounds really highfalutin, I guess, but uh, (laughs) Holide is is unique and i guess let's maybe dive into that so once you decided to to make a camera app what was the initial driver for how you could put your stamp on the market
2: that as you said was already um super full of other camera apps i think uh, one of the things i realized very early on working with ben and it's it's always different right when a designer and an engineer work together it, it can be anything from really magical Uh, collaboration to a really frustrating process and we have the exceptional privilege that we we work together really well so we just have kind of an understanding on what we value I don't think we really had any ever had any product conflicts like we should do this or do that like we just kind of feel like we both have ideas that we really appreciate and really feel like we have an equal contribution in that sense and that's really nice. And we just wanted things to kind of find a middle road like uh, we were not happy with the camera app because it didn't give us enough control. But we also weren't happy with what was out there, that thing my mother saw where there were a ton of camera apps out there. Those took an approach that kind of, to me at least, not to trash talk anyone, just resembled a sort of kitchen sink approach. Like it just does everything. And... I think to this day, like one of the first like the moment we released the app, like one of the top requests, which is still to this day, is that we don't have like digital zoom, which the built in camera has. And I'm sure a lot of other apps have. But that's like one of those examples of like, that's just the way we designed it in an opinionated way. We we think digital zoom is pointless because it crops your image just throws away the rest of the picture. So we decided to just never offer that. It just didn't work for the way we take photos. And if we want to zoom it, we can zoom it later, you know, and then throw away part of the shot.
0: Although you just released uh, a feature that sort of leans in that direction, but still it sounds like fits within your vision, which is the macro mode has a digital zoom, right? But it's right. It's specific for <laughs> that way of taking photographs. I, I know we're jumping ahead, but I'm, I'm curious how, how that came about then if you were sort
2: of opposed to digital zoom in your design, yeah. how did you yeah. land there with that? Yeah. Th- this one in, in particular, like combines zoom with, um, uh, machine learning based detail enhancement, so it's it's not quite just this, the same thing, um, but the idea was that we would have, uh, for instance, like the the interface of Halide itself is a camera that's very much powered by gestural interaction. So swiping up and down can adjust exposure really quick, and swiping left and right, you can expose, you can you can adjust the focus. Um, we found that simplifying that sort of like gestural grammar. Uh, would really benefit the camera. And Zoom didn't really fit in that. So that, that was just kind of like, you know, the way a lot of people expect cameras to work, just going a different way because that's the way we wanted it to be. And and that that I think is a kind of a founding principle, you know, like we we go our own way, we have our opinionated way of, of doing things. And it lands somewhere in between um, on the complexity scale of camera apps. Like it, it, to us, fits into snugly into that, like little sort of Goldilocks zone there. <laughs> ben, what do you think?
1: Yeah. And like, so digital zoom is a perfect example there. We, I would say that we, there's an API you can just turn on and be like, yeah, we'll, we'll crop your photos. And, you know, we chose not to, because when we decided we wanted to do it, we wanted to do it right. So in the case of our uh, macro mode, uh, we, we keep a, a, an unedited version of the image. So if you don't like the crop, we didn't throw out the data, Mm. which again, I don't play with other camera apps that much. I'm, I think we're the only app that does this, but just as photographers, like, philosophically, there's no point in throwing out data. Every photographer edits the photo later, so we're going to keep it around. And so, you know, it's looking at our roadmap adding that feature it sort of fits into okay what are some other features we're going to be building in and this is sort of like a chess piece move of okay we this helps us with the plumbing for this this will lead to you know x y and z so it's really about like focusing on the company and uh, what we want to be working on and so we decided okay this is the right time to start tackling what is our alternative to digital zoom and on the flip side I'd also say like opinions are important but You don't want to be so myopic that you're ignoring like accessibility issues. For example, some people use digital zoom, uh, because it helps them focus. So in Mark II, which we launched uh, a year and change ago, we added a focus loop, which gives you the benefit of digital zoom if you're using it as a focus aid, Mm -hmm. but it's not about like cropping the image. It's distinctly solving that problem. And so it's very easy to be like, oh, you know, we're omakase. We we view our product, and you have to recognize <laughs> there are other people who are who have different needs than you, and um, you need to still listen to your users because you can't, you know, <laughs> you can't view everything through your own personal lens, right?
0: I like that though. Like if you're getting a bunch of requests for something that you you don't think is right for the product, you can dive a layer deeper and. And look for the reason why people are asking for that. And maybe you can still solve that same problem in a way that
2: fits uh, sort of the ethos of the app itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to put it, Charlie. And... I think what one of the things me and Ben also felt really strongly about was, you know, he found me through that review in which I kind of like wax poetic about how much I like this camera, which by by every measurable standard is kind of a pain in the butt to use. Like it's, it's a all, it's this, this hunk of brass made in Germany that is still kind of stuck in the past. Like you have to, you can't even look through the lens. It's all manual. It's, it you know, it's very unforgiving, but it's, it has that tactical quality that, that has that. It's, it has that camera magic. Like if you give a yeah a, one of those old film cameras to like a child, you know they'll 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 play with the dials and the switches and the knobs because it's just it just feels so damn satisfying. You know it feels great, and we we felt like maybe we can capture some of that. Like we didn't dilute like delude ourselves into thinking we could bring that level of delight It would be really really hard some of that delight would be really cool to bring into a camera app. And so that also kind of became our founding principle of like, Oh, how can we, how can we make it feel like really delightful and tactile and like just kind of (laughs) fun.
0: My favorite example of this, uh, I don't know if this is in V1 or not, but the fact that it has the little square that shows the level, um, in the middle. Yeah. And when, when you have it square, you get this little click you know, with the amazing haptics that have been in iPhones for a while Mm -hmm. that I don't know how many people I've handed my camera to who probably don't care, but you know, I'm all excited about it. I'll hand my phone to, to be like, do you feel this? Do you feel how awesome this is? (laughs) Because I'll be taking the picture, you know, uh, well now, especially with macro, like upside down, because the lens is on the top of the camera and I can't even really see, uh, the screen because i'm trying to get the specific angle but i know i want this level and i can feel when it's right and then sit there and smash where i'm pretty sure the uh shutter is like 40 times just to see if i can get the right thing but it's like this little satisfying tactile thing that also provides a whole bunch of uh extra
2: utility that's great to hear i think that's that's a ben invention
1: Oh yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I think well, you had obviously designed the level, and I think that the the brainstorming around this feature was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if this? We tried this, and then uh, <laughs> I knocked out of like an ugly ver- or like a really hacky version to feel to get a feel for it in our hands. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's cool. Um, but I would say also, we're very lucky that we're both working on a product that we personally like. We're both photographers. Um, you know, Sebastian, uh, being a designer is at a different level than me, but like people who, you know, we know what it feels like to have a digital SLR, or we know what it feels like to have the right product. And so it's much harder, you know, if you're working on medical imaging software and you aren't a doctor, like what what does a doctor want? (laughs) Right. And so we're super lucky in that regard. And so, you know. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, so a lot of the ideas do come to us like just through improvisation or just going back and forth and eventually uh, striking a balance. But it's like there's so much to be said around like looking at what's you can't communicate in um, uh, if you toss a, a, a sketch file over a wall to me, like I could build exactly pixel perfect everything Sebastian asks. But like there's always going to be like this middle ground where you need animations or you need haptics. Or you need to figure out the right type of transition between the different screens, and so there's a lot to be said for every engineer like learning like the very very basics of design and having an appreciation for that because it just makes it so much easier to collaborate with a designer and it just it's it's a force multiplier.
0: Yeah. How do you uh, validate design stuff or test design stuff like that? Like, do you um, do you have a beta group that you're sending things to early and getting lots of feedback? No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Around product, we... we, (laughs) With product, we just do whatever feels right, um, you know, while also getting opinions from people that we, you know, know and care about. But for the most part, like product direction, we we say this is where we want to move the product and then Sebastian will create a design and then I'll knock something out really quickly, and we'll get a feel for it internally. But for the most part, I'd say beta testers are all about finding bugs. Or, you know, obviously, if we, we, we it turns out something we built is confusing, I would hope they tell us like, or that, that this thing doesn't make sense. But for the most part, it's about validation of what we've kind of already made as far as a product. We don't do any kind of analytics. Um, you know, we don't do anything like driven like that uh, for the product
2: yeah and to be to be fair we're also somewhat ruthless when like stuff really doesn't work like the first version of Hallet had this extremely maybe I was like using online dating apps too much at the time it had this Slightly too clever for its own good feature, where instead of going through your images and it would behave like the normal camera roll, you could swipe like up and down to go through your photos, but then swipe left or right to favorite them or to, to trash them so you could quickly review them. Oh, and I was like, it's yeah. like a quick review feature. And everybody was like, why does it work yeah. this way? This is horrible. My muscle memory swipes this way. And now I'm deleting my photos. And we were just saying, okay, that's just. That's just been this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I came up with that feature. If, 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 if we want to balance out the level thing, I also... I think I came up with a, hey, wouldn't this be cool? <laughs> and then I think we, like, eventually took us a few months to finally rip it all out. But yeah, I was like, okay, on paper, it was it was a great idea on paper, right? It was a good idea, but it just some <laughs> things don't work.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, that makes sense. I was going to say, uh, that was actually my next question was, when have you had to do that? Because I, I see this very linear path forward and i can't think of anything you've had to pull back on but i forgot that that is how the the gallery kind of used to work yeah it was not good (laughs) (laughs) so one of the things that i feel like defines Holide now in my head is there's there's a lot of like uh i I, i'm gonna use the word color science and i'm assuming that's probably inaccurate somehow because i don't know enough about that world but you do these awesome blog posts going really deep into the details on how you're doing your processing and everything. Um, Was that, was that part of the first version or is that something that's sort of been enabled as you've gotten access to like deeper APIs from Apple?
1: So, Part of the reason also for wanting to do this is having an excuse to go deep on, like, all of these topics and, like, <laughs> really understanding more about color spaces. Uh, similarly, also a reason for the company is to have a, uh, a tax write-off when we want to buy camera gear. Like, you know, there's so many
0: <laughs> it's <for your> job,
1: <laughs> Like reasons right? to form a company. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need this new lens. Um, no uh so so part of it's like for my own like a, a lot of these posts I could have written in the first year. I mean Proraw didn't exist, and part of it's just like really fascinating doing deep dives around like lenses and things like that. But yeah, it's interesting how our product has evolved alongside Apple's movement toward computational photography. So uh yeah you know, for example, with Mark II, in mark in the first version of the app, it was all about the manual controls you know, and having access to raw. And so in the first version, they were all, it was easy to switch over to manual mode uh, because the controls were within thumb reach, but we found the auto exposure algorithms kept improving from iPhone to iPhone. And so there was a slight change in the product where you can still get to manual, but you have to reach in the upper right, right? Because it's just less common that we find ourselves reaching for that feature. So yeah, a lot of the product itself has been evolving as Apple gives us access to new APIs. Please give us night mode <laughs> keep asking for that every year. Uh, so we're not fully on parity. but, um, and it's also, I have to really give credit to Apple that they, uh, the, you know, their, their camera and imaging groups are so communicative and, uh, like with lab sessions, they've asked like, what, what, what could we do to help you out? And so we'll say, you know, could you access, add access to this particular API so that we can give users more control. And so now like you can choose how much of Apple's computational photography you want to apply to images. And we built that into the app. So, you know, I'd say that we're learning <laughs> some of these features. Like I, I, I want to pretend that I was, I knew all this stuff before I wrote the post, but sometimes I'll get knee deep in a post and then just go down this deep Wikipedia hole. Like, oh my God, I didn't know this is how you do this thing. So it's been it's been just as much fun for me to learn this stuff.
0: Yeah, i I feel like there's a, sort of virtuous uh mutual beneficial thing going on between uh you and the other camera apps and and apple it's like it seems like it could be seen as a competitive thing um but it really is like the things that you guys are trying to solve are definitely different uh, from a design perspective than what the generic photos app that or camera app that comes on literally every person in the world's iPhone uh, has to solve for. And so it's almost like you guys are a release valve for those teams, probably to be like, (laughs) they probably want to add a lot of this stuff, but you know, can't. And so by giving API access, it's almost like they get to sort of uh, give those to the iPhone community, but not necessarily through this app that needs to be, accessible and packed with
2: a bajillion features. Yeah, I mean, I I have nothing but immense admiration and respect for the camera team at Apple because I don't think anybody truly gives them enough credit for how tough that job is. They have to make a camera that works for every single iPhone user. I um, I'm not sure if I would ever want to be in those shoes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I like my niche. I like having choosing my user and designing our product in it. Like I, I can sit here and talk about like how I, we love to have an opinionated product, et cetera. That's not a luxury they can afford. No, they cannot yeah. make an opinionated product.
1: I, I'd also say that it's, it's also like by choice that it's by choice. We're also not trying to overlap too much in the first party camera. And I think that like, If you're looking at building your own app and it is, you know, it's reskinning the services of the main thing or or the service, like if you're building, you know, perfect example, a third party Twitter client, you know, if you can't answer how your thing is going to be different, well, the bigger company is, you know, Apple has how many billions of dollars in the bank? They've got like, I'm sure, a ton of engineers working on their camera system. I don't think we could compete with them if we wanted to. Like, (laughs) I don't have a PhD in computational photography so i think that we, we're also really smart about focusing on like something that is different and answering the question okay how are we different than the, the than the first party camera and you know hoping that there's a large enough market that there are people who want those things we're going to be building
0: yeah i think one of the things that makes phone photography so delightful and the reason why it's it's really made it infrequent that i pull out my slr anymore is y- Instead of having a bunch of different lenses or maybe even bodies that I switch between whenever I'm somewhere to try out different things and experiment, I have like a bunch of different apps with a whole bunch of different features uh, (laughs) that are all playing with different things. Like when I, when I go on like a vacation or a hike or something, I definitely use highlight a bunch, but I also definitely use the default camera app a bunch. And I definitely use spectra or specter now. See, I've already mispronounced it. Uh, is it (laughs) specter? It's specter. Spectre. Okay. Uh, I use Spectre a lot too because that gives me, you know, a different thing. And usually I'll sit there in front of the same flower or waterfall or whatever for like five minutes switching between apps and trying different exposures and all sorts of different things. And it, it feels like what it felt like when I first got, uh, even maybe before my SLR, when I first got like a digital camera that had manual modes that I could play with. And it sort of unlocks this sloppy creative freedom. Uh, and it's just fun. I mean, that's the the best word, which is why I think having those delightful interaction elements in Halide are so important.
2: Mm-hmm. That's so great to hear. Yeah, it's it was um, it was fun to for us to do like a a second app in the sense with Spectre just to see like oh what would it be like to to do something now with the knowledge of having bumbled our way into halide <laughs> of, and like kind of you know pretending like to know what we were doing.
0: So, the initial version of Halide then, when that came out, was it an
2: immediate kind of splash hit or was it a slow burn? No, it was... Definitely a splash hit. We came out with it and I think in the same day, Ben correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at launch day we hit like these sort of we we cracked outside of the little sort of Mac iPhone software tech bubble. Like we we got articles on on websites like Uncreate and like high snobiety and, and like had a lifestyle magazines, which is oh my really goodness. cool, people.
1: I think it, it, there was like a news uh, LA news show or program uh, uh, that uh, featured our app. Hey, check out this new camera app. That'll make your phone like a professional camera. I was like, wait, what, we're on the news. <laughs> like, it was funny how it was. Yeah. Pretty mainstream. I think we're number three on the charts. Uh, we lost out to uh, uh, among uh other one's uh, Minecraft because it was a combination of the games, top games and apps at the time. Uh, so yeah, yeah it, was, it was wild the first uh, day
0: how do you think uh you got there did you guys have a a marketing plan going into this
2: um so i like the like i I kind of do a lot of the marketing day-to-day stuff for our apps and i i just enjoy um trying to build excitement around a release so i think what we had been doing like we have some some bit of a twitter presence and we've been talking and like having it tested with friends and stuff and so we kind of built up some excitement for it when it came out and then also um put together um uh, like a really nice press kit uh, so we had like nice photo like renders and and sample photos and these kind of things and a little sheet of info and we 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 definitely like to put a lot of effort into the launch, so so that definitely helps. Uh, but we presumed, of course, that sending a few cold emails to a few press outlets would mostly manage the cold shoulder because here's just a couple people making a hobby app right uh, but we figured it couldn't hurt to try right so that's that's definitely something we did and uh yeah I, w- I think we were we were in north beach right ben where i was living at the time when we launched the thing and then i think after sending all that out that's kind of a weird feeling because then you're just like okay we flipped the switch to make it available for release on the app store we tweeted about it and sent the emails so now you i guess we wait
0: <laughs> yeah nobody prepares you for how empty feeling a launch is uh Immediately! Oh, my God. You expect, like, I don't know, fireworks or something, but uh, especially when you're alone in your house or just with one other person in in a room or something, it's very uh, almost anticlimactic. Yeah, totally. Well, yeah.
1: I think also, you know, anytime you do a big launch, you end up with that nice spike of downloads the first day or two, and then, you know, you've seen the charts everywhere where everything becomes sort of levels out to what it is. Like, what's the normal cadence? And that can also be, like... You can fool yourself into being like, okay, this is great. Nothing's going to ever top this. It's going to be like this forever. Like, no, no, no. No matter how big the launch, you get like one new cycle, and then it kind of settles down to where uh, you can expect day to day. And so, I think that the other thing that helps with us is that we kept building on the product after, (laughs) for whatever reason, we just kept building it after the initial buzz and the hype of having launched it. And you know, I think that even though the the launch itself was positive, it was critical for us to stick at it after that initial dopamine rush and keep investing in it month after month. And, you know, we saw it more sustainable, uh, to the point that now we have, uh, we're working with someone else, uh, Rebecca, and, uh, we have, uh, other, uh, folks helping us out like with support. So it did take some work to actually grow it into a mature company. It wasn't just like, you know, you launch once and great, you're all set and they, you never have to worry again. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I there's two other things that I, I don't know if these actually are uh, big marketing things for you, but in my head they seem like they would be. And one is we've talked about it a couple of times, but those blog posts that both of you guys do, those come out now like it's on the lists with like Austin Man reviews and maybe an MKBHD review or something for the thing I'm looking forward to after uh, a phone, any phone or any device release with a camera on it is uh, your like technical review of what they've done under the hood. Was that, has that sort of turned into a marketing channel? I, I assume it wasn't on purpose at first, but maybe maybe that was all part of the plan
2: all along. Yeah, you know, if, if you were to take a, take a particularly cynical lens, and some people on Reddit have this, or, you know, you know those <laughs> comment sections, Hacker News, uh, I'm not naming any names, uh, Hacker News, you you know, everything is, everything you do, if you even mention something, a project of your own that could has the potential to make you a few dollars in, uh, in revenue if someone downloads it. Um, is is a marketing thing but i think what what really helps with this is that if we don't do it from with an attitude of treating it like a marketing thing so we do it because we're super passionate about it and i've, I've actually been working on the iphone 13 pro one for weeks now because it's a really challenging one and a lot of people have been asking like, where is the where's the iphone post and it's if if it was a marketing thing you know you just push it out the first week. And right. Be It'd like, be beneficial to steps. get it out while the news is still hot. Yeah. Strike when the iron's hot, you know, and that's that's also what, and, you know, a lot of people like, uh, people that are in the YouTube um, scene because of the algorithm, they're actually kind of, their hands are tied in that. And we're very lucky and privileged to, that we can take our time for it. And we found that it does work great for getting the word out about our, our little app. But we also, we definitely don't go too heavy handed in we're every other paragraph for like, hey, you should download the app. Um, and there's been, times where it also just overlaps you know like the the things we we're talking about just happen to tie into a feature we were launching but yeah overall it's yeah it's a little bit of both
1: we've actually i think had times where we have written the full post and then well as we're finishing up the draft we realize oh yeah we should mention somewhere we make a camera app. Yeah. <laughs> like we should mention somewhere so there's like i'd say that there's a very clear like editorial wall, if you will, between, okay, this is a thing that stands on its own. And to Sebastian's point, like, um, you know, we will, uh, we'll, the fact that our articles help us sell the app isn't a coincidence because we're, we're building the app around the new hardware, right? So as an example with a macro feature, there were like tea leaves that you could have read earlier in the year that there's probably going to be some kind of macroe kind of thing coming out in fall. And so I was already looking in around summertime as to how a macro feature would look like when we launch it. And then naturally, when the feature comes out, of course, we'd write an article about macro. So, you know, so it all, it's usually a happy accent. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, <laughs> I wish it, w- there was some kind of class we could give on this. But it's, no, no, we just write articles we want to read.
0: Well, and they're definitely more readable because of that, right? Like, <laughs> there's plenty of, uh, you know, top 10 tips for XYZ, that are clearly just sort of generic fluff that are generated to get you on a company's blog uh, so that hopefully you see their other stuff. And these are definitely not that. I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to about Holide uh, because I'm annoying and I'm always like pitching it to people. <laughs> and, uh, and, usually what i'll say is you know those uh those crazy in-depth reviews which most of my friends know because again i send them those but they know the review as a separate entity than this product and they're like oh yeah it's those people and it lends a credibility to to the app itself whenever it's like yeah these guys know what they're talking about as far as what's happening under the hood here too oh that's awesome to hear that's really really cool i something you just said uh ben I'm kind of interested in to pull in a little bit. So you mentioned like you sort of were reading the tea leaves a little bit about uh, the macro mode. Does that mean you were sort of preparing for that coming and figuring out uh, designs and stuff ahead of time? And is that how is that does that help with how quickly you guys got that feature out?
1: Well, so... Going back to the iPhone 10, like there were already leaks uh, like six months before the iPhone 10 launched via, you know, 9 to 5 Mac. So I, I think in that case, we were already having like the gears moving in our heads around what would a bezel based iPhone design look like. And then Sebastian knocked it out of the park with, uh, coming up with a histogram that sits inside of the ears of uh, the device. Right. Yeah. So, um, in the case of macro, uh, there were APIs, uh, that around figuring out the minimum focus distance of the device. So there's that clue. And it's like, okay, why would you launch this? So, uh, this year, why this year would you come up with that? That's a really weird thing to just decide one day to launch. And then combined with okay. Clearly, Apple is kind of trying to come up with reasons to upgrade your device. So they're every year investing in new hardware. It would make sense that the next frontier is to do something macro related. They already have a telephoto. They have an ultra wide. It would be some kind of macro, right? So we had conversations about it, and I started you know doing deeper research around training the neural network, uh, where if we wanted to do an upscale or a um, you know an ML based. Uh, a super resolution, then how would you accomplish that? But I don't think that we really fully committed. <laughs> we didn't invest in it until they announced, oh, it's got a macro feature. And then it was like hitting the ground running. But it's like, um, I don't know, what's it saying? Like, if I had to chop down a cherry tree, I would spend eight hours sharpening the axe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah. So, you never know till Apple launches something, but we try to prep, I think, uh, in advance based on rumors.
0: Do you find that it's beneficial to get that out? quickly like do you sort of put pressure on yourself to be early maybe not the first person to do something in this space but like to get there early or is it like you'd much rather just spend a lot of time all the time you need or maybe even finish up some other work before you get on that
1: I think that there is a lot to be said for you know striking while the iron's hot, but I think also that comes with recognizing what you can ship in in your capacity at the time. Like there's a lot of other stuff I'd love to build in, um, like into the app, but that I knew you couldn't do in you know the short time frame between them announcing it and when them launching it. So yeah, I mean I'd say that the hardest time of year is when the new hardware drops, and that's pretty much the only time of the year when I'm okay working with a weekend. Um, and I think we also try to set boundaries and we, <laughs> we joke about locking, uh, uh, people out of the repo during the holidays so that you don't ki- you don't work when you're supposed to take vacation time. <laughs> Quote unquote And so joke. we're trying to, <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that inevitably at a company in the same thing, if you have a server, like you, you want to set a right work life balance, but look, sometimes the server's going to go down and you have to, you know, go beyond call on a weekend, But yeah, I think the only time of year when we find that really acceptable is when there's new hardware dropping. And if we're going to burn the midnight oil, that's typically the time we do it.
0: Yeah, and I guess I should phrase it a little differently. I guess what I mean is um, you seem to jump on new hardware things really quickly, Um, whether it's literal like new lenses or stuff or just a new software feature that comes out. uh, you, You seem to be very fast at jumping on that. I assume you also have product roadmap that's totally separated from apple's hardware release schedule and everything so are you in terms of how you're prioritizing things do you sort of set yourself up so that at any point you can drop um whatever it is you're currently working on and let that sit on the side while you do this um strike while the iron's hot type feature is is that like an intentional thing that you're doing
1: yeah i mean it, it It also sucks that that means our roadmap pauses. Right. <laughs> Apple throws a curveball in fall, in fall. And I mean, that's one of the nice things of what we're trying to go for, and the reason that like we now have uh, Rebecca as part of our team is it being able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, but it, you know, you have to be careful where you're not constantly distracted by the new and shiny, right? Uh, and there are material benefits of getting something out sooner. You know, if you want to be featured in the App Store, just put yourself in Apple shoes. They came out with new hardware; they're going to want to feature apps that feature that new right. hardware, right? But you also need to choose the right battles. Like we, we didn't build iMessage extensions. We, uh, you know, you have to choose what uh, you know. You can't just build a feature for the sake of trying to get PR because it's going to read as hollow and. You know, it's going to be a distraction. So we pick the right battles and we try to prioritize, like, what's what's going to help us, uh, you know, especially with the holidays, people getting new phones. But, yeah, yeah, I'd say that it is important to ship features um, sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, we talk about roadmap. I mean, we are also, like, in the non-NFV build position that we know that typically... Um, The new iPhone coming out is going to break the app in some sort of way. Yeah. (laughs) Because there's like there's a new camera or this or like a completely underlying system doesn't work. Like when the iPhone XS started uh, before the iPhone XS, there were all these underlying changes in like the depth API and stuff like that. And we realized like stuff was going to happen in the betas before the iPhone came out. And so we were already kind of prepared for things being busted. But I think most of the people listening to this podcast are fortunately you know, would be quite patient and understanding of that happening like because they know that we don't get invited down to Cupertino despite our proximity to come sit with Tim Cook in a room and he says, uh, hey, these are new iPhones. Can like, How can we make sure that your app isn't horrendously <laughs> broken <laughs> when these come out? Um, but we have to rush to the store. Most of our users are not that... Um, that understanding with it so we rushed to the store asap to get the new phones and make sure that everything we get an update out that fixes things but then we also cannot help but get super excited about what's new and try to support that Um, because honestly at that point often when it comes to like camera features you know apple adds a, a lens or apple adds a particular fundamental aspect of the camera experience um it's almost like fixing a egregious bug if you don't support it, even though for us, it could be quite a difficult feature to build. If there is a new thing that the camera does, if you don't do it as a camera app, um, you know, you don't you don't stack up very well. So for us, sometimes we we kind of bake that into the roadmap. You know, when it's new iPhone season, we know that we're going to have our heads down with reactive rather than planned changes. Um, and we do try to read the tea leaves a little bit and try to figure out like what's going to happen and and hopefully that aligns with like our strategy. But we're also of course we're a camera app for an iphone so we, we have to work with the cameras and the features that the iphone is going to have
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense especially for a premium camera app it probably has a higher percentage of users that are also on the latest premium iphone and those users are expecting it to those to work together so from a business sense it probably actually also makes sense as well as a general shiny excitement sense from your perspective.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And I think on the flip side, just like dealing with surprise bugs that, uh, so like big apps like Instagram don't use these types of camera APIs that we're using. Like they, <laughs> they don't even load raws, which is kind of funny for a photo app. Right. Um, but as a result, we end up touching a bunch of the edge cases that very few apps touch. And Mm. so we need to be filing more radars and giving a heads up of, hey, it turns out if you combine this file format with this pixel format, this thing doesn't work. And so a lot of it is just like uh, uh, trying to find ways of working around with uh, working around edge cases and bugs that can crop up because we're kind of pushing a few (laughs) few boundaries on the uh, the tech side. It can be disheartening because you know we want to be shipping new features all the time, but as we keep pushing the boundaries or pushing like you know the latest apis a lot of it is like dealing with technical surprises as opposed to you know early on when we launched daylight it was just like ship 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 and so trying to find a balance there you know yeah that definitely
0: makes sense um and i imagine like you said earlier having uh, a third person with rebecca on now is making a big difference and i want to get to that but leading to that moment uh I'm going to assume required, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a business model change. And you guys went through a pretty major business model change uh, about a year <laughs> ago at this point with Highlight 2 and switching from a single paid upfront app to a subscription app. And I, you've talked about it a lot in lots of different ways. I'll link to blog posts. But I'd love to just get um, sort of the highlights for why you decided to do that. And then how you approach doing that without, uh, or at least with lowering the amount of angry mob uh, that was sent your way as possible. (laughs) So
1: we're careful to point out, we aren't a subscription app. We offer a pay once option or a subscription. (laughs) And that's the first trick.
0: Okay, good call out. (laughs) That's a really important thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, So yeah, I'd say that a lot of the V, or uh, with the Mark II, I lost track of how many hours we spent figuring out the right way to navigate this, like in even up to a month before launch, just figuring out like, what is, what exactly are we doing? What are we giving away? And originally we we're talking about having a separate app and then converting users over and giving them up a great price. And like, well, that's really complicated. And, um, I don't know if it was you, Sebastian it was just like, why don't we just like give it all of our mark 1 or all of our V1 users a free upgrade to mark two and a year of upgrades uh, for free and then we'll figure it out like a year later how we're gonna transition people over to new features. So, um, but yeah, it was just like a, it was a lot of thinking.
2: Yeah. And Rebecca was also coming in at this time and that was absolutely invaluable as an extra perspective. You just wanted to, to, to really have an open mind about it. And there's a lot of ways to do this wrong, you know. Um, and the, the reason we're moving towards this, I mean, it's it, it's because we're greedy. Um, we're greedy developers, and we want all the money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's people seem to think, but no, it's we we had been giving. Um, Hello, just turning five next year. we had been giving, uh, pu- putting out really substantial updates for years and years and years and. Um, we realized that we're in the difficult position where we r- we're going to have to make the choice that if we if we want to run this as a business and if we really wanted to just work on this full time, which we did because like, we loved working on it. It's, it's a dream to our users. Like, thank you <laughs> for letting me wake up and do this every day. It's awesome. But we, we do need recurring revenue for that. Like we, we cannot survive off one person giving us the equivalent of three dollars. Uh, years and years and years ago, uh, we would have to either do some really crazy stuff to optimize for growth, which would destroy the product as you know it, um, or we would have to abandon the app and then keep making new apps because uh, there there are really no good paths for paid upgrades in the app store. Was
0: Spectre uh, an experiment into that or was that a totally separate thing? Because it was a totally
2: separate app with its own paid upfront m- model. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. It is actually, it is a resp- it is a response to the most frequently requested feature, uh, which stemmed from people fundamentally misunderstanding the iPhone camera. So just a, a short, like, sort of segue from that. The, the most requested feature we got, because we have a manual exposure mode, um, was people saying, why can't I expose for more than a third of a second? This was back then when that was the maximum. And we said, well, that's just your iPhone. That's just the, the iPhone camera doesn't expose longer than that. And then people said, like, well, but my camera does that so why can't <laughs> you do it and we're like, we can't you'd have to fake it and then people were like, i don't care and uh well we didn't really say it. we didn't have a dialogue like that but that was kind of the general right. gist of it and then we thought okay well we don't think this really fits in the app but we could make a really cool long exposure thing and then Ben and I got together and we we ended up like being like, wow, this could be really magical. Because in addition to that, like, you, this is going to be, again, kind of looking at why people are asking for this. You could get really cool stuff that is way way more usable than even using your camera because we could use all the fancy doodads in your phone to automatically stabilize the shot. You don't need a tripod anymore. You could do handheld nine second exposures and we're like, well, okay, this is really cool. Let's break it into a separate product. So in, in that sense, yeah, it was, an, it was an experiment, but not so much to keep highlight alive. Um, uh, we definitely realized that with how much effort we had to put into that and how much effort it is to keep the app current, that it wouldn't be a very scalable solution to just keep making new apps. And we very much realized that if we wanted to make like Hailite V2, all hail the new king, the old king is dead, uh, everybody go buy this new app, how hard that would be for the existing user base. Right. And how difficult it would be to try to maintain both. And yeah, it, 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 the longer we looked at that, we just thought, okay, like this is not going to be a very sustainable, it, sustainability was really the thing we had in mind. We want to keep Hailite going. Spectre, we were really happy with the way it was, and we didn't think it would need a ton of ongoing maintenance because we didn't want to keep building it out. as like the de facto camera app. That is a sort of a general purpose thing. Um, and which means you don't have to support as many new things. And, and it sh- that, that yeah, we, we were really running into the limits of sustainability there. And that that's why we decided to think about changing the business model. And so,
1: yeah, it was an interesting experiment with Spectre, but yeah, the, as far as like demand from users around updates, I would say that there's way more, Momentum around, hey, could you, you know, do this with Halide? Apple every year keeps upgrading its cameras, ugh. and so yeah, all of the momentum, um, external momentum, is around Halide, and users are pretty happy right now with Spectre as it is right now, where where it is. Um, but yeah, it's just like it's we're mostly just listening to users, and I don't know if there ever were. Yeah. I, I, I don't know where, you know, what we'd want to in, um, invest in Spectre versus like right now, like it, all the momentum's around Halide.
0: Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. I, I was just curious if uh, like you had mentioned building new apps would be one way to have a sustainable future potentially and what my brain immediately went to is essentially like breaking off features that you would add to Halide into separate apps uh, yeah. and Spectre would sort of look like that, but selfishly i'm glad you went with what you went with uh cuz i do think that uh it fits a lot better with at least what i enjoy out of uh halide but uh so you had mentioned that rebecca you had already brought her on before you switched
1: over
2: yeah um ben correct me if i'm wrong but i think mark 2 launched october
1: uh october 23rd i think uh yeah. 2020 yeah so she already like in advance. We told her this is what we're looking at. this this is Mark II. This is our plan around how we're going to be transitioning, the, or this is we're planning to transition the business model. You know, this is kind of like where we're looking at the company as the big big picture to like what we'd love to be doing in the future. So it's not like she joined one day and we kept everything secret. Right. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> she joined in 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 May of that year, and so she was invaluable in helping us work out a lot of the, the uh, in-app purchase kinks and uh, all those surprises there. So it was great having... I don't think we could have shipped in October of that year without her help.
0: That's what I was going to ask is what What was the motivation for bringing on a new person? Because that's... I feel like that's this huge step, the very first person, because it's sort of... Uh, it changes the whole dynamic, right? Um, and it would be scary because now you have like a salary and a person that's sort of dependent on the app being successful going forward, what what made you choose to take that leap in the first place?
1: So I think after we won uh, iPhone app of the year for Spectre, we had this sort of existential question, of what do we want to do now? Like, we could just keep doing these two apps. And uh, that's great. Um, but I think that both Sebastian and I, you know, we love continuing to build new things. And just the two of us, we've reached a bottleneck in hours of the day. <laughs> you know, I would love to, I mean, spoiler, someday we'll have a hundred apps no. uh, <laughs> you now. I'd love to, it may not even look, it may not even be another app. It may be features in Halide that we want to build. Uh, and the the reality is you can, you can run a, a, a successful business with a small team of two people, but then you know, if you want to be tackling more difficult problems, inevitably, you need to expand or you need to stop sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Give up all of your loved ones, never see them again. um, And just, you know, work 24 seven. So I think it's, it's a step toward having a sustainable way to continue to build more stuff.
0: And how did you approach uh, not to get too deep in the nitty gritty, but how did you approach looking for a new person? Was it just like, you, you already knew Rebecca or did you like do
2: a uh, sort of extensive search for, for who to bring on? No, I can only speak for myself, but Rebecca was literally our dream person. Like, it, it, was, it was the thing where we, we very early on started to think, like, oh, if we could hire, like, we, it would be a bizarre idea, but, like, if we would ever be able to hire anyone who we, you know, want to bring on part of the team, and I think for both of us that was Sister Rebecca. It's, like, the first person we thought of, and we didn't want to settle for anything less, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. My yeah. question is, uh, if she's half as funny in real life as she is on Twitter, how do you get any work done? <laughs> we don't. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, we do do a lot of riffing, like our, I think we have two meetings a week, uh, officially by the beginning and the end of the week. And so, yeah, we're, we're probably the funniest small app development team there. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. So, uh, with the switch over to, uh, not, sorry, not the switch to subscription with the addition of a new subscription model on top of the paid upfront model, uh, or a one-time payment model. You also added a free tier, so I guess there's a whole lot going on here. how How was that received
2: did it Did it match kind of your expectations? Well, I do have to clarify we, we have a we have a trial, so like with the thing, you can try it for two weeks. We don't have a free tier; we're not not freemium. Oh, okay. I'm glad you clarified that.
1: Just check the app store. Uh, just check those app store reviews, though. Yeah. <laughs> they also get confused.
2: yeah that's a tough thing so to to say ahead of time like this is a thing the app store i think we think should really fix if you do something like this you have to put a paywall in your app and so people can choose their payment option which requires you to make your app free to download so some parts of the app store will still say your app is free um which is really highly problematic because we our app is not free we don't want anyone to think that it's free and some people very much complain we have a torrent of one-star reviews for people that say like this is a bait and switch um scammy developer whatever like it's really honestly very annoying and we wish we could like mark a very clear flag on it
1: <laughs> like we put it at the top of the description like this is not a free app like i don't know if there's anything we can do like you don't get the same response from like a netflix like you don't download netflix like wait i thought this was free right so we're very uh, limited in the affordances the app store gives us for communicating it
2: yeah and i think a good story about the reception is actually kind of the launch day we had a bit of a launch day snag Ben, you want to talk about it?
1: <laughs> so, um, with inside, if you miss in the docs, there's like basically a way that you're supposed to check app store receipts before you launch the app in the sandbox environment versus production. And both me and Rebecca had missed the, the little disclaimer around it. And the long and the short of it is we were supposed to automatically grandfather in everyone who had um, bought Halide before, you got Mark II for free. And for like, uh, when we launched, it turned out just because of the way the receipts were structured, they weren't getting the free upgrade. And everyone assumed that we were those evil developers who were taking away something they already bought.
0: <sighs> it just leans right into the narrative. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it was a very tense 15 minutes writing a patch. That we couldn't test in advance, submitting it to Apple, and then uh, doing everything we could to ping um, Apple. Like, hey, hey, could you expedite this as quickly as possible? Please. And to Apple's credit. Yeah, like, uh, within an hour, we had the patch out there. And I think before, um, you know, the press push, uh, you know, we sent out press kits and reached out to all our contacts. But even just that one hour was like a torrent of like one star reviews and eventually you know we've been messaging to be we messaged people about like no this is a mistake and then everyone understood but yeah that first hour was a nightmare like uh, the last 18 months had been for naught we were giving this away for no reason <laughs> like, yeah it was pretty bad
0: oh man yeah i feel like it seems like every one of these uh subscription changes in business models always seems to have issues like this and i guess it's it's related to the fact that you can't really test it for real Uh, until it's actually live out there
2: yeah yeah and it's really hard to communicate i mean there is a big discrepancy between understanding um the perspective of a developer and the perspective of a user right Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to exchange money for something that's not tangible it's just it's psychologically it's very difficult for us as humans and i totally understand that that Creates a lot of resistance. So that, in addition to the facelessness of downloading an app from the app store, like, you don't see that there's people behind it that make it. You don't see that it's people that are just doing their passion, just trying to get by doing that. We're not looking to become rich. You know, we're not in some sort of field to just trying to like chase after after millions of dollars. We're just trying to do like sustain ourselves doing what we love. And um, that disconnect, I think, sometimes is just difficult to overcome. But I, I can't help but sympathize with people too. Like I totally understand, like. We, we did this in a really uncertain time, you know, there was a pandemic that started happening and and we, we realized that that was difficult and, and how privileged we are to, to have a group of people that support us with a subscription or with a one time purchase. And and I think just to be really sensitive, navigating that is actually really the key, you know, like try to. Try to go in and like have have discussions with your community and with people like I, I try to be active in Reddit and on Twitter and stuff to talk to people and be like, hey, this is just how we're, we're doing things. And this is why we're, we're making this move. And like, I'm, I'm just a human, too. And and if I if I make mistakes in that, like, that's a great way to find out about that. Like, if we, if we can't make these decisions in a vacuum. You know, they, they we are just as reliant on the people using our app as they are uh, on, on us developing it. So that's it's good to like stay, stay, have a healthy perspective <laughs> in that
0: yeah it does seem like um probably fueled by the fact that there's often little bugs that also cause uh lots of stress but it does seem like there can be on those launch days especially um a what's the word combative uh maybe response or defensive (laughs) response uh that developers can have in that moment of intense stress where it feels like the whole world is angry
2: at you all at once yeah, it's really hard people start calling you names really quickly and and uh, you know you're you're safe behind your keyboard and you say things and, and honestly like this is also human psychology that you can get a hundred really nice comments but that that single one that's really mean will really really yeah. hurt and it'll really really to get you down and um it's really important to keep Perspective in that. And I honestly always, even if I get a reply that it seems like it's really in bad faith, try to engage with people and say like, hey, like, you know, I'm I'm just trying to understand why you feel this way. And I'm just a human to, um, you know, is this a valid, is this just a troll or is this like a valid concern? Because I just don't want people to end up with that kind of feeling. And I feel terrible for the people that are in the reviews saying like, this is a scam because yeah, honestly, it's, it's neither of our faults. They went in saying they saw a thing that says free app and it looked really cool and they downloaded it and it's not, and we can't fix that either. And so that just ends up in a little bit of frustration.
0: Yeah. That, that piece in particular is, well, since I've switched over to iOS, that has always been a source of frustration is that it's, it's really unclear um, you know, if it's a paid upfront app, it's very clear what your relationship with this entity is going to be. But if it's not paid upfront, it's just get uh, or the word free at one point. And like, right? I I've since learned, you know, you can go in and look at the little details and see the list of <laughs> subscriptions or in-app <laughs> purchases available. But that's one not very descriptive and two really hidden. And I wouldn't expect anybody to see that. And yeah, I really wish that they. App, they, meaning Apple, would take a pass at that um, to make that less uh, user hostile. I don't know if hostile is the right word, but uh, hidden because yeah, it seems like it's just setting people up
2: to be to feel like they were gypped. Yeah, and and of course. To play devil's advocate. I'm sure that it also affects a lot of their biggest customers. I mean, if you look at the freemium games, you know, people download that because they're free. And to be fair, they are usually free to play. But then there's like ads or other things. So, yeah, I I don't know. It's also kind of a hard problem to solve. But just the way it is for us right now, it definitely had (laughs) had some problems at times. Yeah.
0: Um, so we're getting, we're getting pretty close on time here. So I want to make sure, uh, I get to the last question I ask and I can ask both of you. So what's a person or people out there that have inspired you that you recommend other people check out?
2: Um, I was going to say so- summer, summer, I probably butchering her last name, summer panage. She, uh, she works at Apple and accessibility yeah. things. And I find accessibility things to be Astonishingly cool. Uh, there's always more work we need to do there. We um, before she joined Apple, we had her do a, an audit of our app. And I just really admire the work um, she she does at Apple and and accessibility work in general. It's just an incredibly cool, cool thing and empowering thing to do um, that goes along with like the, the other um, friends of mine and, and and the design teams at apple that, that work on creating the guidelines um and and doing doing the work to to put out design resources for us to to let people like me do do my job much more easily uh, it's it's such an unsung kind of hero the person that goes in and and documents all this work they're doing there um because they have to move so fast with having to release things new things every year um, it's it truly really makes a huge difference for us and i'm, I'm really really grateful for them uh, they've had some amazing people join there recently, relatively recently, like Linda Dong and Serenity Caldwell. And they, they've all, just, they've all just been fantastic. And so i I really want to give them a shout out. Um, and of course those we were all people from our community that Apple recently snagged up. I yeah. <laughs> don't want to be like, Oh, I'm all pro Apple here. But these are all people I already admired before they got, um, absorbed into the mothership. But, uh, those, those are people definitely come to mind. Absolutely. Absolutely love their work.
0: I like that though. Cause I, I do think, I feel like Apple, uh, I don't know, corporately, I don't know what you'd say. They've gotten better about letting people be a little bit more public. Uh, A lot of times when something comes out, we actually get to hear from the people that were involved. But I I do think we don't give credit enough to the individuals and often give credit to uh, the entity that is Apple. Um, (laughs) And I, I do really like that because it is, it should be unsaid or usually is unsaid, but like... That is a huge inspiration for what a lot of us are doing, right?
2: Is the the real work that they're doing all the time. Absolutely. And it, it has been a, I mean, when I worked at Apple, this was very much endemic of the culture. It's just that Apple doesn't feel super comfortable with people taking individual credit. And they're a part of the movement that's kind of breaking that open a little bit and are outspoken on Twitter and say like, yes, we contributed to this. We we made this a success, and and that that cannot happen enough. Honestly, we Apple can graduate from that culture uh, from the old Steve Jobs era of people not being able to take credit for their work because it's people that make this stuff. And like I said, the big problem with software often is that there's that big disconnect of this intangible thing yeah. coming from an intangible device. And you have to remember that people really put love and care into this, and and really, really, they're very human, just like you and uh it's good to name them good to name and, and and also like be kind to those people that do that i like that <laughs> uh ben
1: uh so i think on the ios development side of things i owe a ton to lauren brichter who uh via the tweety acquisition i was able to you know i knew ios development before but being able to work with him on, uh, on the iphone app and also twitter for mac it was like a crash course and you know how you as an indie developer ship really polished beautiful products and so you know it's invaluable you know everything i picked up from him and um taking a step back as far as like me as a developer i think there are a lot of people who i learn from via their writing like uh you know jamie zawinski who um you know he published a lot he was around um the, the netscape era and while that company was being built and he wrote really insightful articles like the rise ry- or the rise of worse is better um so like articles like that joel spolsky wrote a bunch about shipping software peter norvig uh, who's like he was head of re- ai research at google who's written really insightful posts but i would say all these people who you know, they weren't trying to sell you something. They just felt like they had useful information to share. And to a degree, we try to do that with what we're writing. I think it's like, it's mostly about sharing stuff for the sake of sharing it. And so it's very rare to find these people who are really incredible developers, really amazing at what they do. And they go out there and share this information with other people. It's like so philanthropic to, you know, learn from these people out there and you know i hope that eventually we can give back in a similar way Um, yeah. And aside from that, you know, game developers are always fun to watch just seeing like (laughs) how easy of a life we have just watching game development uh, GDC talks and be like, Oh my God, like you spent three years on this system. And it's really humbling to see like the work that other people put into something they're super passionate about. And it's super inspiring. So just look to game developers to see like how high of a bar people hold themselves to. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's, that comes to mind.
0: Hmm. Man, I like that. I like too. uh, you started with Lauren, who's a frequently cited, but you being at Twitter and actually working with him, you like more than almost anybody has probably been really deeply influenced by, uh, by him.
1: Yeah. It was was, uh, so much of my life is just being really lucky and being at the right place, the right time. (laughs) And that was, uh, that was an example there. And I guess I don't know if, yeah, it's just like, uh, uh, I guess I don't know if there's also a moral we want to give to your audience, but uh, it wasn't until 10 or at least 10, over 10 years into my career that eventually I was able to do this. And I had so many fortunate experiences that led up to this time where I was able to work on the stuff that I actually want to work on. So I would say that, you know, if you don't hit what you're looking for the first time you try to ship an app, you know, it's, there's no harm in learning from other people and spending years working at big companies, working at startups, whatever, until you reach the point where you've had enough, you know, luck <laughs> that you can make the leap. So, you know, just because, you know, we're, in a, we're lucky enough to be doing what we're doing, don't hold yourselves up to what we've done, you know, just keep doing it, you know?
2: Yeah. I just, I just wanted to echo that sentiment. That's, that's a really, really, really powerful thing. I think pilot was definitely a 10 year overnight success in the sense that we've, We've looked and thought about this for a long time, but at the same time, the thing that you really we want to put out there is is you know a lot of people told us apps were paid apps were dead and and, and you know it's impossible to, to to do this and be successful in it and and sure it was it's hard I'm not going to say that it's easy if you just care that it just you know success shows up but people very much appreciate and there is still a giant shortage of, of apps made by people who truly care and those that that are created that way with passion with, um, with, uh, with their, which, with, which cater so well to their niche, um, they, they just do really well. And Apple now also really highlights those, you know, that's the cool thing. Apple has this editorial process. They're very receptive to developers creating something special. And, um, if, if there's anyone listening that is like doubting if they should go and do that thing, they're really passionate about, I'd say do it because there's, there's a, it's a really good time for that.
0: Well, wow. You guys, uh, capped that off like beautifully so (laughs) i think i think we should we should probably end it there uh thank you both of you so much for for coming on uh like i said halide is in my i mean it's been in my doc since since it came out basically uh and very influential on me as far as uh just a software developer and then as i became an ios developer uh and then at my you know scrambling attempts at being a ux uh designer so i i Cannot thank you enough for coming on, and uh, I think everybody else is going to appreciate hearing that story.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, Charlie, thank you so much for having us. Uh, it was an awesome interview.
1: Thanks
0: for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore chucky C, or tweet the show directly at launched fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at fm dot com.